0: A few minutes ago, um, Kyle Jacobson stood up here and said, um, we have many missions trips available to you each summer. Um, we do. And one of those trips is led by that man. Um, a missions trip used to bring him to faith in Christ. So um, if you're interested in something like that, Chris is here in this service. Uh, you can uh, get scheduled up for this summer. You know, I, I don't know about the rest of you, but as for me in my house... I'm pretty much done with uh, visits to Disney World. I mean, I understand if you've got small kids, you've you got to do that, you know. I get it. But if, if that's not you, you ought, to, you ought to think about taking a week of vacation and using it like that. Um, it might change you too, it might scar your soul like it has his. So give it some thought. Now, guys, grab your Bibles and let's, um, let's resume our study of this uh, Paschal Discourse of Jesus Christ, which consists of John 13, 14, 15, and 16. We're just about to wrap up uh, John 14 this morning, so you follow as I read. I'll begin reading at verse 25. Uh, the only thing that you will hear this morning that is uh, infallible is what I'm about to read. So stay tuned as I read, beginning in verse 25, we'll read through the end of the chapter out of John 14. It reads like this. Jesus is speaking and he says, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I am going to the Father. For my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes That when it comes to pass, when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise. Let us go from here. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Uh, it was December the 7th, 1941. It's uh, a date that is etched into American history, into the minds and hearts of so many of us. If you're, if you're too young to know what December the 7th is, then let me explain. It was a Sunday morning. In 1941, when Japan surprised uh, Pearl Harbor and attacked, pretty basically destroying the Pacific Fleet, and on the next day, December the 8th, our then-president, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, declared war on Japan, and the United States entered World War II. But most of you know that the war had started over two years before that, on September the 1st, 1939, when Hitler invaded uh, Poland. But there's a lot of us who believe that the war really started before that, 11 months before that. I'm referring to that which has been called the Munich Pact. It was a document signed by the four leaders of Western Europe, Hitler, Mussolini, Daladier from France, and Neville Chamberlain, who was the Prime Minister of England. It was an agreement between them that allowed Hitler to annex certain portions of Czechoslovakia, which he called the Sudetenland, and, and his reason for annexation was because over 50% of the people spoke German in that, in that area, which is the same reasoning, by the way, that's being used by Vladimir Putin in, in, in uh, Ukraine today. Um, that document was signed about 2 a.m. on um, September the 30th of 1938. Uh, Neville Chamberlain got in a plane and flew back to London, and when he arrived, he was greeted by a group of um, well wishers and supporters and um, uh, friends and media folk. And he gets off the plane and he waves this document. In fact, there is a YouTube that exists today. I mean, you can find it. I, I, if I can find it, you can find it. But it's a, a, a document that still exists, or a, a film clip that still exists. And he's waving this thing called the Munich Pact. And he says something then, which he said later, to par- later that day, he says to Parliament. And his words that have become famous are these. As he waves this document, he says... Peace for our time. Three days later, Winston Churchill stood before the same parliament on October the 3rd, 1938. And he said this, and I quote, Britain has been offered the choice between shame and war. She has chosen shame and she will get war. He was right. Eleven months later, Hitler invaded Poland and World War II began. And with that invasion, those words of Neville Chamberlain, peace for our time, were shown to be an empty promise made by people who were unable to keep the peace. In fact, Chamberlain's message that day Became the laughing stock of the world as Hitler marched through Europe. It was a it was a piece of political bombast. It um, It was a delusion. It was a chimera. It was gossamer words, which ultimately led to his resignation and his humiliation. It reminded me of a statement that you find in the book of Jeremiah where. Where Babylon is surrounding Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets are saying to Jerusalem, peace, peace. And Jeremiah responds by saying, there is no peace. Interestingly enough, um, the United Nations, that, that albatross that now rests in New York City, the United Nations was born in 1948 right after the, uh, the World War II and it was brought into being with the express intent of uh, maintaining world peace. And ladies and gentlemen, there has not been one single day of world peace since that time. In fact, in the, um, in the last 4,000 years of recorded history, there have been some 268 years which, um, which could be considered uh, peace in the world. F- but forget all that. Forget, forget the geopolitical scene. We don't even have peace in our homes. Do you realize that the most dangerous place in the world to be besides war and a riot is the home? Did you know that? <laughs> um, now, into that world Jesus says this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I mean, my goodness, is he some kind of biblical Neville Chamberlain? Those, those words run counter to 4,000 years of human history. Peace for our time. Not hardly. My peace. Oh, you bet. And, and guys, really, that's what verse 27 is doing. It's contrasting uh, the peace that he offers versus the peace that the world offers. And that's what I want to do as I begin. But those two things are different, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, as, you can, as you can tell. But the, the, he's contrasting what he offers with what the world offers. And let me tell you what the world offers, ladies and gentlemen. Um, it offers 268 years of the last 4,000 years for a period to reload. You know, guys, um, there's lots of talk about peace, there's just so very little of it. And, um, though the world may disagree with what I'm about to say, it's because there is no peace with God that there's no peace any place else. When there is no peace with God, guys, there's no ability to produce peace any place else. This whole idea of peace, world peace, it's empty words, it's a it's a Powerless wish, it's vanity. Jesus steps into that world and says, I've got another one to offer you. Not as the world gives peace to you, do I give it. I leave with you my peace. Boy, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice to have some of that? Well, let me discuss it with you just for a minute. You need to understand that there's, there's two parts to that peace that Jesus offers us. There's an objective peace, there's an objective part, and then there's a subjective part. Um, the objective part is the peace that He established for us. It's an, it's an objective peace, it's a positional peace, um, as you see described in, say, Romans 5, verse 1, where it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ it is a peace between me and god it is a peace between god and his people it is a permanent truth a truce that has been that is based on the finished work of jesus christ for sinners the debt that i created by my sin has been paid And because it has, Jesus looks at us and says, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now guys, based on that objective peace, there is a subjective peace. The second part of this, my peace that Jesus is talking about, there is an internal peace that is built on that objective accomplishment. It is is an internal peace that is based on the judicial statements of God about the sinner, statements that he makes in light of, in view of what his son has accomplished on their behalf. It is a subjective peace that grows out of the objective peace. Therefore, having been justified by faith... I have peace with God. And out of that peace grows an internal peace. There is a, there is a forgiveness of sin. There, there is, thus my eternity is secure. The, the problems that I experience are not in my life by chance. And the promises are that all things work together for my good. Guys, based on those objective truths... I as a believer have at my disposal a a subjective, a tranquility of the soul that is supposed to be overruling all of the troubles that I experience in life. There's a holy calm that's supposed to, to reign down deep within. And it comes by teasing out the implications of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. One part of the peace that he offers is for the conscience. The other part is for the heart. One part of his peace has to do with friendship. I've been reconciled to God. The other part of that peace has to do with enjoyment. Enjoyment. You know, I think it was Augustine who said it best. He said, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. But, my brother and sister in Christ, once our hearts do rest in Christ, that restlessness that's supposed to be at least abated. Gang, that's the easy part. The easy part is trying to explain it. I, I hope you understand, but th- that really is the easy part. Explaining it, discussing it. The hard part is this. The hard part is convincing our hearts that that ought to be the legitimate, a legitimate part of my Christian experience. I hear what you just explained, Jimmy Young. But I don't, I don't have that. Guys, every Christian has a right to that peace I just mentioned. But not very many, many of us um, are in possession of that. Why is that? Well, I, I guess there's several reasons. I guess one of the reasons is... Um, the devil, we have a ferocious enemy that loves to see us living in our, in our turmoil. He loves to see us so disturbed by circumstances that our palms sweat and we can't sleep at night. Another reason why we have so little of it is our own sin, You know, Psalm 119, verse 165 says, Great peace have they that love your law. But if you don't love his law and you choose to violate it, there goes your peace. I, I think another part, another reason that contributes to our not having this peace is our own unbelief. You know that great statement in Isaiah 26 that says, "Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee." Did you hear that? "Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee." but our minds are not stayed upon thee." And therefore and therefore we, um, we keep the sleeping pills close by. Um, I'll tell you another factor that I think disrupts our peace, and it's bad theology. Any performance-based, like Arminianism, any performance-based theology is going to disrupt it. Guys, there is no such thing as a disturbance in the reality of our peace with God. But there is such a thing as a disturbance in our enjoyment of it. The, um, the subjective feelings are supposed to come over time as we, as we understand our new status, understand our new position as a result of, of Christ's finished work. The more we understand of that, the more peace is supposed to be there. And that's why you hear preachers all the time saying things like, Preach the gospel to yourself. Uh, remind yourself of the provisions that are made in the gospel for us. You know, guys, um, I don't know whether that helps. Here's something that I hope will help. I, I want to I tell you a four success stories, at least four instances where God's people seem to enjoy the peace that Jesus promises us. Let me start in the New Testament. There's a story in Acts chapter 12 that's almost comical. Herod has just murdered James and uh, because he saw that really pleased the Jews he arrests Peter. He throws Peter into jail uh, (coughs) with the full prospect that tomorrow he's going to murder him too. And so there Peter sits in a jail and an angel shows up and the text says that he is sleeping so soundly that the, that the angel has to kick him. The, the text says it, the angel strikes him and says, Get up! How do you sleep? When your good friend has just been murdered the next day and you're next up. Well, you... Um, You come to understand about the new status and position that is yours, and you understand that those problems that are in your life are not there by accident, and that God is going to work them all, all of them, together for your good. There's another story about uh, in Acts 16. You remember uh, Peter and Silas are in, I mean Paul and Silas are in jail, and they got there because they caused a disturbance in Philippi, and so they beat them, throw them in jail, and they're in there singing hymns. Before the earthquake occurs and the jail cells, are, remember that? Singing hymns, you just got beat up and you're in jail, don't know what your future is. How do you do that? Well, you, you go back and review your status and you um, tease out the implications of it and remind yourself that your troubles are not by accident and you're promised that all things work together for your good. Here's another story that's not in the New Testament. You know this story, uh, and I'm not going to tell the whole story. It's about Horatio G. Spafford. He's the, he's the guy that wrote um, It Is Well With My Soul. Uh, you know the story about his four daughters being lost in the Atlantic with a shipping accident, and there at the bottom of the, and then he travels over, and only his wife survive, and his four daughters are killed. You know that part. But did you know this but by the way that that took place in 1873 but in 1870 3 years before that he lost his only son 4 years old to scarlet fever He was a prominent Chicago attorney he was good friends with DL Moody and uh, about 6 months after he lost his son he had invested very in 1871 he had invested very heavily in Chicago real estate and then in October of 1871 something happened it's called the Great Chicago Fire. He, lo- he was almost ruined, lost to almost everything. And then in 1873, he loses his four daughters in the Atlantic. How, uh, you, you, um, you lose your son to Scarlet Fever in 1870. You lose almost all of your estate in 1871 to a fire. And you lose your four daughters in the Atlantic. And you sit down and you write... When peace like a river attendeth my way and sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. How do you do that? You tease out those things that are, that are true about your new relationship with God, knowing that your problems didn't come by accident and that the promise is that all things will work together for your good. Let me tell you one more that you don't know, a story about a hymn this, um, this hymn was written by a guy by the name of Edward Bickersteth. Um, it's a hymn that we don't sing around here. It's called Peace, Perfect Peace. But the story is this. He was on vacation. He was, t- he was uh, someplace else in England. And he, uh, he attended church one Sunday morning. And the, the preacher, is the guy by the name of Gibbon, Reverend Gibbon, was preaching on Isaiah 26.3. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee. He loved the sermon, was very impacted by it. And that afternoon he went to attend... A dying relative, a first cousin, I believe, and, and um, he went to his home and found that his first cousin was in in just was very restless over the fact of his impending death, and so he began to speak to him about the sermon that he had just heard about Isaiah twenty six three, and so the man of course was quite interested and and says, uh, "Well, tell me more." And he says, "Well, the first thing that I remember that he said is that the text does not say perfect peace; it says like in good." Hebrew idiomatic style. When, when a Hebrew writer wanted to emphasize something, what they did is repeat it. It doesn't say perfect peace, it says peace, peace. I, I will keep them in peace, peace. Not just peace, but peace, peace, perfect peace. I'll keep them in peace, peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee. And so they talked about the, um, the sermon for a good part of the afternoon. And then his sick friend drifted off to sleep. and So while he's sitting there attending him, he, decides, he picks up a pen and a paper and he writes a hymn. This one, we don't sing it here, but um, I want to tell you about it. Um, I, I know you don't like to be read to. Uh, and I don't like to be read to, particularly poetry. But this is short stuff. And the reason that I want to, with commentary, I, I want to I read it to you. is because in it, ladies and gentlemen, you're getting instructions instructions how to manage life and to somehow how to arrive at some kind of peace, perfect peace. Here's what he does in the hymn. It's, it's, it's well crafted. It all, each stanza, there's seven stanzas, but they're very brief, two lines. He opens by saying peace, perfect peace, and then he asks a question in the, in the first line. And then in the second line of the stanza, he answers the question that he asked in the first verse. The first line of the stanza. For instance, here's here's, uh, stanza one. Peace, perfect peace. In this dark world of sin? How do you expect me to have peace in this dark world of sin? When you're watching things on the television that just turn your stomach. He answers in the second line. The blood of Jesus whispers peace within. Stanza two. Peace, perfect peace. By thronging duties pressed you know, my life is so complex. I've got more to do than I, than I than I should. I can't get it all done. I spend all my day in the car. He answers. To do the will of Jesus. That is rest. Stanza three. Peace, perfect peace. With sorrows surging round. You mean with all the sorrow that's in my life. With all the trouble that I'm facing. You expect me to have peace? He answers. On Jesus' bosom, naught but calm is found. Stanza four. Peace, perfect peace with loved ones far away. I'm I'm far away from home. He answers. In Jesus' keeping, we are safe and so are they. Stanza five. Peace, perfect peace. Our future all unknown. Yeah. Your future is just as unknown as mine is. We're going to be alive tomorrow? Or are we going to have a stroke? Is it our turn to die tomorrow? Who knows? He answers. Um, <clears throat> um, Jesus we know and he is on the throne stanza six peace perfect peace death shadowing us and ours my death is impending his death is impending when is my day he answers Jesus has vanquished death and all its powers this is the last stanza it is enough Earth's struggle soon shall cease, and Jesus shall call us to heaven's perfect peace. Now, guys, all I'm trying to show you is do you see his method? He faces this, he faces this, he faces this, just like you do. You think you're the only ones with sorrows surrounding you? You think you're the only one that's concerned about the future of your kids and your job and your finances and your retirement? You think you're the only one that's afraid of deaths? No. We all are. And the method that you see in this hymn is the method that I'm trying to I'm trying to teach. I go back again and again. To my new status my new standing with God and I remind myself that that sovereign God that the troubles in my life are not here by accident and that the promise is that all things will work together for my good I go to the objective piece and I tease it out so that I might arrive at the object the subjective piece just three suggestions first of all ladies and gentlemen stop looking at your performance i mean did i believe rightly i mean did i repent enough i mean um, <clears throat> i mean did i do it right <laughs> no ladies and gentlemen stop looking at your performance it's always going to turn out to be imperfect and keep your eyes fixed on the savior secondly Walk humbly. That's hard for me to say. It's hard for you to do. It's hard for us to do. You know, ladies and gentlemen, if nothing else ought to humble us, it ought to humble us to know that there's something floating around in your body right now that might get to your brain and you might be a babbling idiot by tomorrow. Walk humbly. And then thirdly, avoid sin. Any appearance of it. Let me close like this. You do know, don't you, that, that there, is a, there is the possibility of a false peace. That is, some of you have peace and shouldn't have it. Jesus mentions it in Matthew 7. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do this? Did we not do the other? And I will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. You know that. Um, the, only, the only solution to false peace, ladies and gentlemen, is an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, placing all of my hope of forgiven sin in what He's done for me. So to those of you who are who do not yet embrace this Savior, you know that you are at war with God. You are an enemy of God's at this moment. Well, I don't I don't think of myself as an enemy. Well, I'm I'm sorry, but Romans 5, Philippians 3, James 4, I'll describe you that way. And I am here to plead with you. I'm pleading with you. Be reconciled to God. I want to leave you with one reason to be reconciled to God. It's found in the last verse of our text. If you've still got your Bibles open, I want to read you verse 31. Jesus is still speaking and he says, But that the world may know that I love the Father... And as the Father gives me commandment, so I do. Arise. Let us go from here. Do you know what you just read? What Jesus is saying is, guys, 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 come on, I I, I need to get going. I'm about to hand myself over to my enemies. I'm about to hand myself over to the ruler of this world. I'm about to hand myself over to Satan. And what drives me out there to to, to meet him and to hand myself over to him is because I love my Father and I love to do, I delight to do his will. And do you know what that will was? Son. I need you to go die in the place of my people. Come on, guys. Let's get going. I need to go die in the place of God's people. That's the Jesus Christ that I'm inviting you to embrace. Our Father, would you remind us of um, the great promises that are ours, promises that are rooted in, founded upon, based in the objective accomplishments of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And would you enable us as your people to, to find more peace than we have now in the face of all of our complexities and all of the fears that we have about the future and death and would you remind us of those great accomplishments of Christ on our behalf? Father, if you've led somebody here today who has not yet met our Savior, would you, would you cause them to see that they are at this moment an enemy of God's, an enmity that can cease before they walk out this room when they embrace the Savior? Would you open their eyes to see his beauty and do that in Jesus' name?